Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church again. Uh, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team. If we've not had a chance to meet, on behalf of the congregation, let me say again, we're very glad you're with us. If you're joining us online, thanks for being here as well, everybody who is in the East Auditorium. Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to Isaiah chapter 43? It's pretty much in the middle of the book. If you don't have a Bible with you here in the building, there are some Bibles uh, in both the auditoriums. Perhaps you want to grab it on your smartphone. I use my smartphone a lot for reading scripture. And if you're online, there is a tab on your screen that will get you to Isaiah 43. Before we look at scripture today, just a brief announcement that uh, we've got a new staff member joining our staff here in a few weeks. What's driving that is that um, most of you know that in June, my role as lead pastor will be coming to an end. And um, Brian Talty is taking over as lead pastor. And then uh, we've kind of got some things moving up the chain, if you will. Uh, Jonathan Grundon will become the executive pastor of the church, leaving his position open. And so we're bringing in some new blood. Adam, Adam Hamelink is his name. He'll be joining us um, in, by about the middle of March. He's presently serving at the Christian Church in Mason City. Adam and his wife, Annie, have a little girl by the name of Ginny. She's less than a year old. Adam and I have been in a cross-country Zoom pastors small group for a long time. And uh, that's kind of how it caught my attention a long time ago. And I thought if there was ever an opportunity where we need to look at somebody new, he was a possibility. And so that's what's moved along that way. Uh, there'll be more to come on this in the days to come for certain, but he'll be filling the role of discipleship pastor. And uh, he understands the Midwest. He grew up in Springfield, as did his wife, um, Annie. So we'll look forward to having them here in just a few weeks, just keeping you in, in, in the move or in the, in the information of what's happening with the upcoming transitions in the life of our church. But for today, let's do a little preaching, shall we? Because an interesting phenomena occurred over the sky, over the air, uh, back in uh, one of the days surrounding Christmas, American Airlines Flight 2323 was scheduled to fly from Boston to Phoenix. It's a long flight. They had fuel on board, and but for some reason or other, they had to make a pit stop in Oklahoma City, very unexpectedly, coming up 800 miles short of their destination. And when I say a pit stop, I mean that exactly. They literally ran out of fuel on the way to Phoenix. Now, you may be aware that one of the things that one of my responsibilities here at First Christian causes me to be gone with some regularity to churches around the country. And then with having family in Australia, Leslie and I travel probably more than other people. And okay, I get the pit stop in Oklahoma City, that wouldn't bother me. But when you're flying over the Pacific or over the Atlantic on your way to Kenya, for example, you don't want to hear about a pit stop along the way. You don't want to hear about 800 miles short because the only fuel you can take on at that point is water, lots of it. And so that's not really what you want to do. So I, this story caught my attention going, what's with that? And besides which, don't they know that if you're going to land, put an additional landing in, it takes fuel to land, it takes more fuel to take off. And wouldn't it have been easy just to have enough fuel? Where was the engineering on this? Well, here's what happened. On that day, some unusually heavy headwinds came from the west to the east. 
and the American Airlines Flight 2323 was flying into them, and literally the headwinds just made it more difficult to fly, so they ran out of fuel. The same thing, well, they didn't run out. They acknowledged before they ran out, we're going to stop, all right? We're going to run out. Um, the same thing, or the inverse, happened on the flights that were coming from the West Coast to the East Coast. They caught those winds, and they arrived like hours ahead of time with not using all the fuel they would normally use. And so it was like lightning speed to get from the west to the east, but not the other way around. You've probably experienced this when you're driving. If you drive north-south here in the Midwest regularly, uh, on a highway perhaps, there are days when the winds coming from the west can be really strong so that you're driving, actually, you know, you, if you're going north, you're turning in, or if we'll say we're going south, you're turning into the, into the wind, you know, to stop it from pushing you across the road. And um, then you see a semi coming your way, and you go, okay, so as the semi comes, the wind is going to feel different. Because as the semi gets close, there'll be that bit of push when it can erupt before it get, as it arrives. And then in the 53 feet long that it's going to be, it's going to be no wind. And, some, and, and, and then on the back side of that, man, the draft and the wind together, I got to hold more tightly. Those of you who are in driver's ed have that yet to learn, but we'll go from there, all right? Here's, here's what a, the question I have. What if the headwinds get in the way of your life, though, in more than just travel settings? What if your life story has moments where you feel like you're about to run out of fuel and you're, you're on this cross-country adventure called life and you go, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it to Phoenix and I don't even know where Oklahoma City is. I suspect we've all had those moments or perhaps stages in life, long moments, long periods of moments where we say, man, the days are so hard right now. What if they impact us long-term? in our thinking, our playing, and our overall outlook on life. And in light of our present sermon series, here's the question I would like to ask today. How does the Bible view our mental health? Are there some biblical antidotes, are there some biblical answers to these common struggles that we all have, to varying degrees? I mean, some people struggle with mental health to a greater degree than others, but is there some way in which we can respond to all of that through Scripture? Because... We would ask, can scripture and faith help us when life is rough? And of course, I, would, I wouldn't be a good preacher if I didn't answer that rhetorical question with the answer, yes, I believe it can. And in recent weeks, Pastor Brian has been using scripture's insights to help us identify those places where we need, frankly, better mental health. And we've learned, um, well, here's what we've learned very quickly, if I could cap encapsulate the last two weeks, that... Sometimes ugly headwinds shape our lives. Things are poured into our lives that maybe other people do or sometimes we do, and they lead to sore spots and eventually an incorrect non-biblical view of ourselves, our individual selves and our lives, our hearts become misaligned. Brian told the story of an event early in his childhood in school life that shaped him in the second grade. And it must have been powerful because here it is more than 30 years later, he can still remember as a matter of fact, he can remember the name of the teacher. Watch this, uh, watch just a brief clip of what he said and see if you can catch the teacher's name. 
I remember uh, in the second grade, uh, uh, our teacher, Mrs. France, was uh, having an, uh, an achievement awards uh, ceremony, if you will, where, where students were getting awards for all kinds of things. And I remember there was one student before the process even started uh, asked, uh, Mrs. France, uh, are there any students who didn't get any awards? To which Mrs. France nodded disappointingly, yes, there is one student who did not receive any awards, which I knew. Mallory, (laughs) she was the worst. There was no way she was getting any awards that day. And so award after award, multiple awards to some are being presented. I remember this one kid, Frank, he had amazing handwriting. I don't know, for second graders. And, And he had six achievement awards. And they're being named. And all of a sudden I hear, Mallory? Mallory? Who is it that's not going to get any awards if Mallory's getting awards? To which I began to realize that there was a very strong chance, as my name had not yet been called, that I might be that one student who did not receive any awards that particular day. And sure enough, all the awards were presented, and there I was, no surprise to kind of see where the story goes. The one non-achieved student in the class. And I remember, like, you know how, like, elementary students, how you go to the restroom, like, as a big group, and, like, girls' line, boys' line. And I remember Glenbrook Elementary School, second grade, just standing outside of that bathroom, just, just bawling my eyes out. Because I remember. I remember every detail. There's details I didn't even tell you because, you know, we've got so much time. But I remember every detail about that day because it shaped me. And it was a sore spot. It is a sore spot. So um, here's how it works around here. When, when you're preaching here in the church, you're usually assigned somebody who's going to be with you um, to make certain that if you're in the worship service and you're ser- in preaching that there's another pastor in the room that can... You've got a body man. That's what we'll call it. But not really, but you get the idea. And that weekend, Brian's preaching, and I sat there through all three services. And on Saturday night, I came and I said, Brian, did you change the names of the people in your story? He says, yeah, Mallory wasn't the right name. I said, Mrs. France was the right name. That's the right name. I said, what? Because normally, this is on the internet. Are you going to call her out on the internet? I said, I hope hope she's dead by now. He says, so do I. Here's, here's my immediate response that, that evening and then in all, both services the next morning. At, at the moment when he was telling that story, I mean, if it hadn't been interrupting to his sermon, I felt like I need to run up on stage and hug a second grader who's grown to be six foot three inches tall and just do this and say, it's okay. You've achieved a few things in life since then. But since this is, was his sermon, I didn't do it, but you get the idea. We all have these spots, these moments that have shaped us in unhealthy, life-damaging ways. We've learned in recent weeks that our heart can be misaligned, but we also have learned that our misaligned hearts can be shifted to a better story, that the sore spots, the narrative of our lives can be changed, and they're still there, but we can develop a healthy logic where God's truth replaces the mistruths that we've taken on. We end up with a better worldview, a better life view, a better view that reflects God's view of us. And so I want to see what Scripture would have to say about that for us today from Isaiah chapter 43. And just as a side note, 
to, to sort of set the stage. Because um, there are portions of this that don't particularly, well, I'll just say it like it is. This passage of scripture we're about to read is set seven to 500 years before Jesus was born. Long story. In 721 BC, the, the Assyrians came in and began killing the people of Israel, who later became known as the people of Judah. Long story. And they ruled, the Assyrians ruled there for almost 150 years till the, um, the Babylonians showed up, and they did the same thing in 586 BC. So for 150 years or more, actually another 50 years to five, uh, 536 BC, the nation lived under the rule of somebody else to the point where they developed quite a, a, a the people of, of Israel developed a, a very bad self-image. Things like, we can't defend ourselves. Our military is in shambles. The economy is ruined. We're losing people right, left, and center. Some of them are being killed and some of them are being kidnapped. And those big story events within the nation played out in personal lives or in family life because sometimes the person who was killed or the person who was taken and kidnapped might have been your aunt or your kid. And so they've got this sense that, man, none of life is good. And look at what the prophet Isaiah speaks on God's behalf, beginning verse 1, chapter 43. But now, in light of all that's happened, in light of where you are, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, he's calling them by name. Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. You're being called by, by you, I know your name. When you pass through the waters, I'll be there with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. Who am I? I am your Savior. Look at how it carries on in verse 16. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea. This is who God is. The one who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. The one who drew out the chariots and horses and the army and the enforced reinforcements together. And they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. That God is the one who says, forget the former things. Don't dwell in the past. See, take a look. Look around. I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Don't you perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. So the question is, does this apply to our lives? Does this apply to our sore spots? And they say, forget the former things. Can our hearts move from misalignment and faulty logic to being aligned with God? And, and that rhetorical question um, has a, a cautious answer. Here's why. Because this scripture speaks to a nation in desperate settings, during desperate circumstances, and absolutely desperate times. And all that is found there in that time is not fully equitable to our individual settings. But I'm mindful of what this scripture speaks to in its overall understanding. And it speaks to how God's heart and, and how God's intent for individuals is found. Look again in the first verses again. Scripture's intent is for, to remind us, that you, for you and me, that each of us is formed by God. Your name is known by God. You're not simply a number on some heavenly big Excel sheet that's being managed by an angel bureaucrat. That's not who you are. When the water threatens your very soul with an overwhelming sense of drowning in fear, when the circumstances of life bring fires in relationships and careers and plans, 
Remember this scripture. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I'm your Savior. Look again at verse 16 again, moving forward from there. That the God who brought the Israelite nation through the Red Sea, who caused the Egyptian army of horses and chariots to be lost in the sea, that's the God who promises this. God's saying, be alert, look up, take a look around, be present in the moment. I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Look at it right there. It is. Don't you see it? I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands. You can think of it this way. The headwinds that we are flying into these days, pushing against forward progress, they have been very tough of of late for all of us. Regardless of what sore spots we might have in the past, there are some struggles in front of us right now that might pull at our mental health. Think about the national debates and the nation being divided asunder, right to left. We've got inflation that just seems to keep on going. I had conversation with people today about wage price increases and everything they're facing and trying to meet the needs of their employees. We've got a hot spot of international tension in the Ukraine, wondering is who's going to attack whom and are we going to find ourselves on the verge of World War III? And then on top of all that, oh, by the way, there's a, there's a worldwide global pandemic called COVID. That's just out there for everybody. And then what are you facing personally? Relational struggles? And then you've got the question, how are you going to manage inflation? When it costs more to go to the grocery store or the gas station? And what about COVID's impact upon you and your family? Is it any wonder our mental health is under attack? Because the headwinds are strong. And so I think we should explore this together. And I've got a little project for you today. You uh, came into church today and you got one of these in both the East and West Auditorium. If you're you're joining us in line, will you grab a piece of paper and we're going to see if we can do something with this. This is a challenge, an arts and crafts moment. Can you make a paper airplane? We are going to throw paper airplanes in church in just a moment. All right. Can you help me out there, Thomas? Yeah, please. Thank you. All right, while you make, you got to make a paper airplane. Don't throw them yet because we don't want anybody, that Christmas movie, you'll poke your eye out. We don't want any of that, okay? All right, because we've got some headwinds right here. Who's really good at making paper airplanes? All right, come on, one of you come up here and let's see if we can get your, do your paper airplane in the wind. How's it going online? You guys doing all right online? Come up here, bud. Tell everybody your name. What's your name? Lucas. 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 Are you from Maroa? Uh, no, I'm from Forsyth. Forsyth. So you go to a good school. Yeah. All right. Do you know I had to move to Mount Zion recently? But I was a Mount Moreau Forsyth guy for years upon years. What do you think if I was to wear a Moreau Forsyth t-shirt or sweatshirt to a Mount Zion game? Probably wouldn't end well. Wouldn't end well. Okay. (laughs) Well, Lucas, come over here. Okay. How's that? How's that paper plane going? We're going to try doing it with the wind. All right. On the count of three, you and me together. We got to get it above the fan. All right. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, that wasn't very good. Let's try again. Let's try again. Okay. This time, let's stand in front of the fan and see if that works better. Not this way. We'll go this way. Okay. All right, I'll come here. You ready? One, two, three. Oh, 
Good. One more time. This time, though, let's do it into the headwinds, okay? You ready? Come close. All right, Lucas, the whole congregation is counting on you. Don't feel any pressure. One, two, three. Oh, but they didn't go anywhere near as far. All right. Can you all thank Lucas? All right. Now that we've sort of had a little bit of fun, let's see how much fun we can have. Everybody stand together. In the East Auditorium, stand as well. At home, you can stand. All right, now, don't... Everybody look my way so that if it's going to hit anybody, it hits them in the back of their head, all right? And on the count of three, we'll see what we end up with here. One, two, three, go! All right, take a seat, Jack Vance. All right, you get the point, right? My point is, we've had a lot of headwinds lately, and sometimes we do, sometimes we fly it well. What do we end up with? About a dozen or more planes up here on the stage, and some people's planes were flying well, others were just. (laughs) You've had headwinds in your life. Our congregations had to manage. Oh, I see one plane left. Go for it, Will. One more time. You got to do it now. Whoa, good job. Our congregations had to manage headwinds of late. You know, what are we, how are we managing COVID as a congregation? And all the various opinions that are out there. And how are we managing attendance and planning for how many, I mean, like today, how many of these things were we going to print and how many pieces of paper would we need and Used to be you could sort of know that offhand from week to week. What about COVID deaths? I must tell you, friends, I've done more COVID death-related funerals than I would care to. It's been tiring and frustrating, and I'll just say it straight up, maddeningly sad, and uh, the evil that has come our way. And yet Scripture says to be alert to new ideas. How do we move against the headwinds blowing through our minds? How do we get the headwinds pushing us instead of fighting against us? If you will, to go from life's experience to a God-edited experience. Because I know you've got thoughts that come from your life experiences. They come from a variety of sources, like the school teacher that didn't do you right. Or the situation in your house that just didn't turn out the way you expected the career that didn't take off the way you'd hoped. They lead to a number of faulty logic settings with any number of issues, ranging from God's care and nurture, was God there, to then questioning our own abilities and our own talents. And we settle for inaccurate thinking, and our heart can be misaligned with how God actually views us. So can we change that? This week, I'd suggest you grab one of these, um, above all else, on your own projects. They're in the lobby. Um, that might help you get started. And then as part of that, I'd like to bring you some, what I would call some theological truths that Isaiah 43 informs. Um, It's an overall view of Scripture's truth. Here's what I believe I can put it this way. I'm going to give you four of them to start with today. Four truths that I find are true regardless of my circumstances of the past or even the present. Even when my mental health might be in a downward spiral, 
and it's doing a real number on my well-being, here's four things you can learn and you can believe together as a follower of Jesus Christ. First of all, that God is good. Now, I'm aware that we've got questions about God's goodness. If you look at the world's history, look at the world's story, you look at the way that what we see not only in the past, but what you see the latest crisis headlines or the stories of some of the lives of people around you, we see immense struggles. Because the wrong people seem to flourish and the wrong people seem to suffer. It's like it's backwards. And bad nations seem to run roughshod over less powerful nations than those nations. Those less powerful nations are in desperate need of resources. And so you look at all that and you go, ah, but I still believe that God is good. The world is flawed, but God is neither flawed nor constrained in power and wisdom. God is good. And you go, surely, Wayne, that's just a, some sort of trite platitude. Well, I get that sense um, because I'm not a fan of trite platitudes. I don't like trite platitudes that are sayings on coffee cups or plight, uh, trite platitudes that are plastered and stuck up on the signboards outside churches in front lawns across the country. I want to go sometimes. You know, you're not helping us at all on this race. You're not helping the team when you read some of those sayings because they're so trite and they, they, they just seem to, 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 to mow, like the, they mowed the grass around it and they just mow right past people's real experiences and substantial complex issues. So I'm aware that we go, oh, is, is it trite? No. In faith and at all times, despite my temporary circumstances, I believe God is good. In faith, I also believe another biblical truth, that you are good, that I am good, even though we are flawed. I'm aware that I've got lots of sin issues that could point to countless flaws. Some of them you know. There are some that I hope you never learn about me. I imagine you would say the same thing. But the work of Christ within me covers those flaws, thus giving me this moment of a new birth, a new spirituality, a new moment when I can grow and change. I believe that for me, and I believe the same for you. I believe you can change. You can be different starting this afternoon. I also believe that people can be good. Not everybody chooses that. Some sins in people remain unforgiven because they have not acquiesced God's forgiving work in them through Jesus Christ's death on the cross. But in the scope of God's big story, all of humanity is made in God's image. Individuals are made in God's image. And they can choose to allow that image to bring creativity and joy and peace and love to you and to me and to the world at large. After all, Genesis tells us that when God looked out for all creation, when, he, when it was all done, he looked over and what did he say? This is really good. That some people choose to live otherwise does not negate God's intentional viewpoint. In fact, despite many shortcomings, despite death's sway over us, despite violence and anger and hate, and despite our own moments of tough experiences and sore spots, I believe that life is good. I'm aware that's not always our experience. Well, Wayne, you're back into trite platitudes again. No. As a Christian, I will state in faith that life is good because this is what I know, believe at the very core of who I, who I am, that our security in life or in death, our security in struggle or victory, 
our security and our mental health status on days when we're feeling, man, we take on the world and on days when men, it, we're very sad. None of our security is built on our greatness. Our security rests in God's grace. And we align our hearts there believing God is good. Now, it's not as if we, well, if you believe those four things, Wayne, um, you know, then, then no adversity will ever come your way. No, I'm not suggesting that. Instead, this is a firm conviction that goes beyond platitudes, moving to a th- theological underpinning of life this way, that we can be faithful to God regardless of adversity. And I, listen, I've, I know some of you extremely well. For some, we've done life together for more than a quarter century. And, and for others, maybe you're new to that story, and I'm really glad you're here. And I mean, think about it. I know some of you for just a few weeks and others for years, and yet it seems whenever there's a conversation, there's a story of, man, th- this business of being faithful to God, it's hard at times. There are moments in all of our stories where it's, man, there's chapter upon chapter where you're biting your nails and you're quaking in your boots and you feel like your eyes are wide open because the roller coaster hills, they don't seem to stop. It's up and down and up and down and it requires great courage. But friend, your worth is not based on your feelings or your circumstances. Instead, your worth is based on God's extreme view of you. You are wonderfully made. Christ, the hope of glory, has gone before you and is in you. And Scripture states this, that given all of that, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let's let's focus on Jesus Christ, who is he the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Because remember what he did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you won't grow weary and lose heart. I've got one more way for you to think about this this morning. Take a look at this photo. It's a photo of a very unusual looking bird called the Jacana, the African Jacana bird. And you go, for crying out loud, how many legs did creation give that bird? That's the ugliest bird I've ever seen. You know, doesn't it look ugly? The extra legs, it only has two legs. You know all the other legs are? That's a male jacana bird. And at the sense of any danger, the male jacana bird picks up all its chicks and he can't get all their legs under his wings. So he just carries the chicks and all those legs are you see his babies being carried to safety being hidden under his feathers. And that's my understanding of God's care and and intent. Because there are moments when, like that bird, I look pretty ugly. So you didn't have to smile quite so quickly, but but nonetheless. There there are moments when my life looks ugly and I've got stuff dangling out all, I mean, I, 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 I just got legs everywhere. You know what I mean? But here's the truth. I know God's intent for me. And I'm thinking long game on this because I would, I would, I would go with the psalmist who says, I was old, young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Long game. I've seen the righteous hurt. I've seen the righteous God's people maligned. I've seen God's people have, so, some people 
have so many sore spots in their experience that they look like one big bruise. I've seen the righteous with more questions than they have answers, and I've seen the righteous die. But in spite of those moments, in spite of those times of crisis and despair, I am convinced in faith that I will do what the Paul the Apostle says when it comes to God's care and love being all over. He says, I know that through God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, based on what God has already done, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. But, fighting my fingernails from time to time and quaking in my boots, I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm aware that all of us have these moments when our, our mental health is in pretty desperate straits. For some, that's today. And uh, maybe it's for others who are watching this online and worshiping months from now. I'm thankful that you're a God who moves outside space and outside time. Convict us again. Make, make, let us have this firm assurance, this conviction within our, deep in our souls that you are a good, good, a good God and that our circumstances do not deter what you are doing. There are words, God, that, or there are times when we don't have words to speak adequately to what we face. And knowing God, hear the cry of our hearts. Right now, in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. As you came in today, you would have received one of these um, here in the building. If you didn't, there's some people coming right now in both auditoriums to get these in your hands. Um, if you're joining us online, would you please find something to eat and drink together? And um, before we eat and drink, let's make a statement together of what we believe about God's nature and God's intent, that God is a good, good God. Would you sing with us? Mm. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so throughout this sermon series, we've determined, been, been trying to figure out how do we guard our hearts? You know, Scripture says, above all else, 
Guard your hearts for everything you do flows from it. Here's one way in which to guard your heart. Your heart, the heart of humanity, and your heart as an individual has been rescued by Jesus Christ on the cross. It was so important that Jesus came to this earth. And we remember that each time we have communion together, that his body actually died on our behalf. So let's do this. Let's eat together in remembrance. Let's sing again. God, you're so Christians um, have a statement about Jesus' death on the cross. We, we use some old language that I don't always think works so well. We say, Jesus shed his blood for us. And you go, shed his blood? What does that mean? He gave his life. Blood literally poured out of his side for the forgiveness of your sins, of my sins. The gift of his blood covers your sins. It covers your foibles and it covers your sore spots. It covers all the messes you've made and the way the messes of other, the way in which other people have made messes in your life. It's all covered, friends. Let's eat and drink. I mean, let's drink in remembrance of the gift of Jesus' blood. Let's keep, keep singing. thank you for your goodness. We see it demonstrated in um, creation. Huh. That picture of that photo, that what we think is an ugly bird, but in reality it's a thing of beauty. It's, it's you doing a great putting intuition and nature into that bird to care for its chicks. We see your goodness, Lord, in the way in which we can experience love. The way in which people can impact our lives. We see your goodness in the way in which Jesus Christ died on our behalf. For his death, we give you great thanks. Lord, this week, we're going to do it differently. We're going to live knowing that you've got us covered. That our circumstances don't particularly paint your full plans for us. Instead, God, we will, we, will, we will base our sense of our self-worth and our mental health in who you are 
and your goodness to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing, friends.